Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Red Sea Podcast, part of the Over the Monster Network. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. It's gone. It's in the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. And featuring Keaton DeRocher. It's a grand slam! I'm telling you, it's time to party! Welcome back to the Red Sea Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux. Today I am joined by my co-host, Keaton DeRocher of Over the Monster for episode 254 of the show. Keaton, welcome back. We've got a very uh, positive show today. Yeah. Been a while since we had one of those back-to-back ALE series wins, baby. Yeah, it's pretty funny, uh, the back-to-back series wins thing. So that one-off against the Orioles was technically considered a series. But, uh, you know, at this point, with how rare these series wins have been, I think we'll take it, right? Yeah, you have no idea how long Bailey and I, uh, while we were do- getting ready for the series preview of that, scoured the schedule to find what series that was a makeup game for (laughs) we spent so long trying to dig that up until we finally just were like nope this is just a one game (laughs) not a makeup just it's a schedule do we know why that was the case i'm assuming because of the late start yeah i don't know why else that would be there yeah yeah well, you know, we'll take it. We'll take it. Um, but the real the real big news here is the, you know, taking two out of three from the Yankees. Uh, just an unbelievable series for the Red Sox. So we're going to get into that today. We're going to talk about the health of the team, which is trending upwards. Talk about some roster moves and, uh, you know, some other fun stuff on this show. But let's get right to it. Red Sox just took two out of three from the Yankees. There's 46 games remaining in the season. As we are recording this on a Monday night when the Red Sox are off, uh, you know, a little bit about the the standings right now. Red Sox are currently uh, 15 and a half games back of the Yankees. They're 57 and 59 with a negative 32 run differential. Um, but it's not all bad right now. There's definitely some uh, positive news uh, in terms of the wild card standings. Red Sox are just four and a half games back of the third wild card spot. Chicago White Sox are ahead of them two games back. The Minnesota Twins are also two games back. And the Baltimore Orioles, who they play this week, are one and a half games back of that third spot. Tampa has the third spot right now. Seattle has the second spot. And Toronto has the first spot. So um, Red Sox still kind of, you know, they're, they're uh, you know, if this was a, a distance race, they'd sort of be hanging on to the back of the pack, um, but they're still there. So, I mean, let's talk about this Yankees series a little bit, Keaton. What takeaways did you have from it? Um, 
because there were a lot of really good things I think we could take from it, but what were kind of the biggest things that you noticed about the series win? Pitching seems to be getting itself back on track, which is huge for this team. I mean, even in the game that they lost, there wasn't a whole lot to really nitpick about it. That was the Carter Crawford game. Um, they only allowed like two hits. Um, and it, they got they got beat on Isaiah kind of first homer of the season, basically. Uh, it was a two-run shot. Uh, and then the bullpen came in after and um, did a pretty good job. All three of those games, the starters and the relievers, looked really strong. So the starters and the relievers, um, I think as the starters are getting healthy, and uh, and we're going to talk about kind of how the bullpen is getting shaped um, as people are returning and getting healthy, but it's helping shore up the bullpen as well. And it's kind of get, getting both sides of the of the pitching stronger, and it's kind of helping with this momentum. And now you've got a couple really good series to take advantage of with this momentum and kind of keep the wins rolling. Um, they do have some tough series against the AL East remaining, but they've got some real nice softies mixed in here down the stretch as well. So if they can keep this momentum going, they, they can, you know, you know, I'm not trying to, trying to get too hopeful here, but they can do some damage here. They can hang around. They can sneak in here. They can, they can be a little dangerous. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I think the, um, the pitching, you know, was, was huge. I think all, all three of the starters, you know, performed really, really well, obviously, Waka had the best start, and we'll get to that in, in a little bit. But I want to talk about Garrett Whitlock first because, you know, last time we were on here podcasting, we were talking about his usage and uh, how frustrating that had been. But here, I mean, Garrett Whitlock played the key role, uh, pitching two innings in the uh, extra innings win, the first game, 3-2 to two victory. Um, you know, came out and really just shut down the Yankees, the heart of the Yankees lineup for two innings there, struck out three guys, looked incredible, just overpowering stuff, really was the biggest reason why I think the Red Sox were able to pull off that victory, although Tommy Pham was great too, and his quote about, you know, not getting paid overtime was pretty fantastic. Um, but then, you know, he comes back in the Waka game as well and uh, gets the save there, pitches a clean inning. Um you know, it's been really nice to see him being used a little bit more in the way that you have been talking about wanting him to be used. So you want to talk about that a little bit and what that does for the bullpen? Yeah, I love that. Um, really, since he came back off of the IL in July, beginning of July, <clears throat> his usage had been um, he pitches two innings, he gets two days off. Pitches three innings, gets three days off. So you mentioned in Friday night he – Pitched two innings in that extra inning game, which if they had stuck to that usage pattern meant he was done for the series. He wasn't going to pitch again against the Yankees. Uh, but it came uh, Sunday night on the heels of uh, Waka's awesome performance, needing to lock down the save and a win and the series win. Turn to your best pitcher, which is what I've been really kind of wanting to see is when you need to lock down a win, turn to your best pitchers to get those wins. So I was ecstatic to see that that was the case. Uh, and I assume that not having, um, officially now, not having how to turn to was a big part of that. Um, it will be interesting to see, though, because uh, not having Hauk available, uh, Schreiber and Whitlock have been used a lot in tuning spurts here. I really want to avoid having another situation where we have, you know, like uh, this, the overusage problem with these guys in the bullpen. Um, I feel like that's not going to happen with Whitlock, but because um, they had been pretty, you know, giving him those extra days off after his outings. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping that's not going to be the case. But I just, I really hope that Hauk ends up not being out for an extended period of time because. Um, relying on those guys too much down the stretch. We've just seen it year over year with guys getting just exhausted in this bullpen at the end of the year. And they're, they really need to win these games. So um, I hope that Hauk is able to return soon. Yeah. And I think we've seen an encouraging uh, usage pattern by um, 
Alex Cora recently with uh, how he's been relying on Ryan Brazier and Hirokazu Sawamura a little bit more in these situations. And, you know, I, that, I've actually been impressed with both of those guys, um, particularly Ryan Brazier's velocity has been pretty impressive recently. It's been in the upper 90s and he's been locating yeah. pretty well. Um, and I think the breaking ball for him has been uh, quite a bit better than it's been in the past. And, and I think that Sawamura is a guy who is finally starting to earn some trust from Alex Cora as well. That splitter that he has has been downright filthy uh, recently. And, um, you know, he's gotten out of some big jams. So he's actually, uh, you know, he's earning my trust a little bit more. And it seems like Cora is actually looking at him and, in deciding to turn to him in in particular situations, it seems like Austin Davis and, and Matt Barnes are the guys that he's still kind of shying away from uh, in those situations. But um, you know, nice to have a couple other arms that you can be a little bit more confident about. Yeah, I I'm coming around to Brazier as well, which yeah. is a a bit of a turn, but. <laughs> It's hard, hard, hard to argue with the results. <laughs> yeah, it, it sure is. I mean, the nice thing about Brazier is the uh, the fact that he doesn't really walk anybody, um, which is the thing that you know so many guys in this pen have an issue with. You look at Davis and Salamora over the season, and they both have twenty plus walks, and Ryan Brazier's got forty four strikeouts to just nine walks. So, you know, the ERA is still not pretty, but definitely pitching better than his ERA recently. So we'll see how that uh, shapes up coming up here in the future. Um, okay, a couple other takeaways uh, from this series. Rafael Devers, I think we have to talk about him and his performance uh, in the third game of the series, which you know was definitely the most dominant game for the Red Sox. The game was over in uh, two hours and 15 minutes, which is practically a miracle when you're talking about a Red Sox-Yankees game. Um, and he made a spectacular defensive play at third base. Uh, I believe it was Kyle Higashioka uh, whose hit he took away uh, down the line. And then he also had a huge home run, which kind of broke him out of a little bit of a slump. He was really struggling uh, in August. So, you know, encouraging to see uh, Devers getting it together. And also a bounce back game from Bogarts, who struggled in the second game of that series. Um do you have any thoughts on on either of those guys and you know the performance from either the struggles from from Bogarts in game two or his bounce back and Devers kind of busting out of that slump? Yeah, Devers was really impressive. I mean, that not only was that a great defensive play, but that saved at least one run down in the corner, possibly two, which obviously would have either tied the, the game or given the Yankees the lead um, at that point. Um, and then the, the dinger was just like a, fa- a fastball high and tight looked like he got jammed and then it just kept going and going and going. And then, then ended up like eight rows deep over the bullpen. <laughs> it was a shot. That was not where I was expecting that one to land immediately when it went off the bat and it just, just kept going. It was just really impressive, impressive Homer that it's just, he's such a talented baseball player. And then um, the steps that he's made defensively this year have just been crazy impressive. Like that's that's one of those ones where really even kind of like last year he'd be rushing his his footwork and then probably ends up throwing it away or just sailing it. But he's really worked at getting his footwork down. And when he's in a hurry to make sure that he gets the throw on target and in time and it wasn't even it wasn't close. He beat him by a couple steps to make that play. It was just all around the improvement this year for from his defense. It's incredible. That was an awesome game from him. Yeah, he hasn't made an error since uh July third, which is a pretty incredible stretch for him. Uh and you know, talking about it, we've we've mentioned it for, for years that it always seems like a lot of the stuff that he does is sort of avoidable and, and you know, it comes down to being kind of mental errors here for for Devers, and he's really cleaning a lot of that stuff up. So that's just fantastic to see. Uh, you know, I, I'm I'm very encouraged by it. 
Um, Xander on the flip side, though, you know, we give Xander a lot of credit on this show. We also have to kind of tell it how it is. He had a pretty disappointing end uh, to game two where he had that very weak infield pop up to kind of end the game with the game on the line there. Uh, And then he didn't want to talk to the media and kind of just bounced out of there after that. It seems like this season's just kind of getting to him mentally. Um, Yeah. You know, I'm wondering kind of if there's anything in particular there that's bothering him. I know he was supposedly one of those guys that was going to have a sit down with Bloom after the trade deadline. But I wonder if just, you know, kind of the contract and the emotions and all that stuff are kind of weighing on him a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it definitely seems like it does. It seems like um, the more that they stumbled and the further they got away from uh, contending for a playoff, the more he was kind of accepting it all being over. Um, yeah. I'm hoping that this momentum and maybe getting, you know, stringing a few wings along, wins along kind of gets that spark back and seeing that um, you know, the season's not over yet. They still got a chance. It may still seem like a long shot because there is still a bunch of teams ahead of them for the playoff spot. And um, he was one of the ones that was more vocal about wanting more help at the trade deadline than they got. And was seemed like he was as disappointed as the fans were with the um, confusion and kind of lack of direction at the, the trade deadline. But, um, you know, the, the team is what it is. So if, if you, you want to make a run for the playoffs, then... Um, this is it. You know, this you got what you got. You got to push forward with it, whether you think that can. You know, this is your last run with the Red Sox or not. Uh, you kind of got to work with it. But I, it just kind of feels like, not that he's. I don't think that he's given up. Obviously, with the season that he's having, he's like you pointed out on the last podcast. He's like almost about to have the, the best career season that he's ever he's ever had. Um. But as far as, like, he might see the writing on the wall that this is the end with the Red Sox, it kind of feels like he's showing that a bit. Yeah, I hope that this is just him having a a very human moment right now. Um, And hopefully, you know, taking two out of three from the Yankees sort of jumpstarts things here. And as they start to get those familiar faces back in the – the dugout, you know, we're getting a, a couple a couple guys back this week as well against Pittsburgh. Hopefully Bogarts kind of finishes strong here with the Red Sox, if it is indeed the finish. Um, you know, and, and he's still playing for a contract too. So hopefully um that that all goes away. I I I think he's he's a very professional guy, so I don't expect that, you know, that sort of stuff will continue, but it was a little disappointing to see um, but you know, another guy who we've been talking about a lot on this show is Alex Verdugo. Um, I tweeted out that Alex Verdugo has been just incredibly hot recently. And if we look back at the last, uh, six games, uh, the two versus Atlanta, the one against Baltimore and the three against the Yankees, uh, over that time period, he's slashing 421, 542, 684 slugging percentage with a 245 WRC plus, um, really just doing a lot of damage, uh, not, you know, not slugging the crap out of the ball, no home runs in that stretch, but, you know, four runs in an RBI, he, he seems to be a lot more comfortable at the plate. What kind of things have you seen from Alex Verdugo, uh, over this stretch that, you know, you can kind of start hoping for a little bit more on, or, you know, what are you noticing with him? Yeah, it just seems like things are just kind of evening out for him. Like, even when he was struggling, he was still hitting the crap out of the ball and just had some really awful Babib luck. And it just kind of seems like um, the av- it's just kind of, you know, averaging out for him now. He's He never stopped being confident in his abilities through that slump um, and just kind of continued to push through it and just work through, um, you know, whatever he was doing at the plate, just kind of kept that going. And it just seems like now it's just starting to kind of turn and pay off for him. And I think even if you kind of extend that longer, um, that we could see that stuff starting to turn really kind of since the all-star break, him kind of starting to turn around. Um, it's not as abruptly as 
the numbers that you just pointed out, but some of that bad luck was starting to turn and things were, um, you know, coming a lot better. He's got his average up to 275 for the season now. And it was down there at like 255, 250, I believe, for, uh, for quite a while. Uh, so really since like the All-Star break second half, he's been crushing it. And that's mainly because he's just kept all of that, um, all the batted ball stuff that he had crushed through the first like third of the season going. Um, a lot of it was just kind of bad luck. I'm just waiting for it to turn around. And now it has. And um, I think some of that power stuff is going to follow. So, Yeah, I mean, if you go all the way back to um, the last game of the uh, prior Yankees series in in July, July 17th, all the way to, to now, which is, you know, nearly a month's worth of base, baseball games, he's batting 326, 376, 477 with a 141 WRC+. Plus. Um, he's been really, really good over the last month or so. Uh, of baseball so yeah I, I think that this is hopefully what we're going to see from Verdugo uh, for the remainder of the season and it adds a lot of length to the lineup if if you're getting that I mean Tommy Pham's been a revelation uh, here with the Red Sox he's been an incredible fit for the lineup giving it some length if you can get that out of Verdugo um, you've got Hosmer there giving you professional at bats as well this this lineup feels a lot deeper to me yeah I just pulled up his his splits because I was curious from uh, from the all-star break is like official second half and um, yeah, 329 average. So that, I mean, that was pretty close to what you, the, uh, that same date that you just pulled, uh, which is about 70 points higher than his batting average from the first half. So yeah, he's been on a tear since, uh, since the all-star break. Yeah. Really good to see from him. Um, on the pitching side, though, Michael Walker, we've been kind of dancing around this. Probably the biggest story, his return from the IL just came back and was flat-out dominant versus the Yankees. Seven innings pitch, just allowed two hits, one walk, struck out nine, uh, which was just really impressive from him. Uh, 89 pitch effort. He's still got a 2.44 ERA on the season, and I know you know, we've talked about um, how his expected numbers are not quite as good as what we're seeing on the surface. Um, but you know, I was digging into the data a little bit with, uh, Michael Waka and I was looking in at his, um, his heat maps for the last couple of seasons where, you know, in 2021, he was really bad. And in 2022, he's been really good. And I noticed that with his four seam fastball this year, he's been throwing that pitch, uh, much higher in the zone with more frequency. So he's elevating the four seam fastball to get some more whiffs off of that. His changeups always been an elite pitch for him. He's doing a better job of sort of locating that around the zone. And then with his cutter, which has been, you know, arguably his, I think you could say his cutter slash sinker has been kind of his, his best pitches after the, uh, the changeup. He's really been throwing those pitches uh, sort of down and down and in to righties and down and away to lefties. Uh, hopefully, I said that correctly. Um, but yeah, I mean he's he's throwing essentially the same pitches, but he's just locating them better uh, this season. So I don't know whether that's a credit to the Red Sox uh, pitching, you know, uh, program over here and and Matt Bush, but um, or Dave Bush, I should say. Matt Bush is a pitcher. Um, but yeah, it's it's cool. I mean, what have you seen from from Waka? He's kind of been your guy all year. Yeah, and I was actually kind of worried about his return because I thought, you know, this injury might derail all of the awesome progress that he had made in the first half. But obviously, like his last rehab start um, with the Woo Sox, there was a combined no hitter. Um, obviously, which he started, and then. <clears throat> Uh, also had that going for what was it like four four or five innings here against the Yankees and this start had a no no hitter going for a while, um, so that has just a really impressive return and feels like um, he didn't really miss a beat and can keep that going um, again and be kind of that anchor for uh, this rotation and you really kind of hope that Evaldi uh, gets velocity back uh, and that can be that. Your one-two tandem there at the top of the 
rotation. But that's, I mean, this was crazy impressive. Just not only like in prime time against the Yankees, but like first start coming back off of uh, the IL, going for the series win, like all of the struggles against the AL East and the Yankees, well documented. There is just a lot of pressure on this start. And for, for this to be the first start coming back off of the IL and then to just crush it in two hours like that was crazy impressive. Yeah, it really was. And especially how he dealt with the heart of the Yankees lineup as well. It was just, it was great to see. Um, you know, Waka's really worked out here um, and and been much better than I expected. I'm, the the changeup's always been the best pitch for him, but it's nice to see some of the other stuff working. And the changeup really has been... Uh, sort of vintage. It's it's been as effective as the best seasons that he had early, early in his career with the Cardinals. So um, you know, big credit to the Red Sox and and to Michael Waka for getting their heads together and, and figuring this out. And I think that um, you know he's somebody that I'm a little bit more interested in bringing him back for next year, especially considering how good of a fit this has been. Do you think there's any chance in a at a reunion? For, for Waka and the Red Sox for next year? I, a chance, yeah. I feel like a small chance based off of these results. Yeah, you think he's going to go out and get the bag from somebody? Yeah. <laughs> Probably so, but, you know, we can be hopeful. Maybe it'll come. he'll come back. Uh, speaking of coming back, though, a couple guys are uh, being activated uh, to the lineup here. Um, Kike Hernandez and Rob Refsnyder are both likely to be activated today as you are listening to this on a Tuesday uh, against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Um, Kike is definitely going to be activated. It seems like Refsnyder is ready as well. Both of those guys were just rehabbing in Portland uh, and actually had some pretty good rehab stints there. Um, so one move has already been announced. Uh, Jalen Davis has been optioned, um, and he's going down. So, I mean, who do you think the other move is in my mind? I'm kind of thinking Jaron Duran, but do you think it's going to be somebody else or is it definitely going to be the outfielder Jaron Duran? Well, um, I, don't I don't know. The more I think about it, I think Durant stays as somebody on the bench. Um I think if Cora wants to uh which I think he should manage these last forty five games like playoff games, um having someone available to pinch run with Durant speed probably be really helpful. Um I know obviously the defense isn't spectacular, um, but so who would, would I guess Ruff Snyder would be the fourth outfielder? Yeah, Ruff Snyder would be the fourth outfielder with Kike back in the mix. Um, so, you know, it really puts into question, like, you're obviously going to play Kike every day when he comes back. You know, yeah. Jaron Duran isn't isn't uh, displacing Fam or Verdugo, so, you know, do you want to get him reps at AAA at this point? Because it's know, probably the, Yomer Sanchez. Yeah, that's the thing. Like Yomer Sanchez, though, if you don't have him on the roster, you don't have a backup middle infielder. Well, um, Ruff Snyder could play the middle infield, but the other piece to that is um, Trevor Story is traveling with the team. Oh, interesting. Which means that. He's coming back either um, in Pittsburgh or Baltimore. So within the next six games, he's coming back. <clears throat> so, I mean, at, at that point, if you're going to have Story and Duran back soon, probably Yolmer and Duran are going to find themselves down in AAA. Yeah, I would think so. Um, unless... Yeah, no, I mean, it's got to be Duran. I, I don't think they're going <laughs> to... I know you're desperately trying to find a way for him to stay up here. Um, well, I'm just thinking... I just don't think it's going to work. Yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking the speed would be nice to have, but Cora also hasn't really ever managed the Red Sox like that. Like, he hasn't really needed anybody to pinch run. 
um, ever. So, like, that's not a way that he has ever managed the team. But he's also never really had anybody available to do that. But I don't know if that's necessarily something he cares about. I know he wants them to be aggressive on the base pass, but I think that's more just within themselves, not just, like, a philosophy of yeah. his kind of thing. So, um, I don't know if that's necessarily important to him. But I was, yeah. So, yeah, it probably is. It's probably Sanchez and Duran. Yeah. Um, I will say, though, I, I'm going to uh, look back favorably on the Jalen Davis time. He kind of impressed me in this little stint. So, yeah. you know, uh, good little waiver claim there by Heim Bloom with Jalen Davis. Definitely fill the need. Um, all right. Big news for me. I'm finally getting my wish, Keaton. Josh Winkowski has been moved to the bullpen. Um, and and I want to say that, uh, you know, I agree with the sentiment that you and Bailey have been putting out. Josh Winkowski has been asked to do a lot. Uh, has filled that role very well. Um, there was some talk that Rich Hill was going to be the guy to go to the bullpen, but they decided that Rich Hill will indeed get the start on Wednesday, which I think is the right move. And Josh Winkowski who uh, has performed admirably, but just it's always kind of felt like he's been wiggling out of situations and sort of biting off more than he can chew. Um, but Winkowski is moving to the pen. So I, I'm interested in that. He seems to be a long guy out of the pen, but I want to kind of see uh, what he looks like there. So what do you think of the move, right? Decision or would you have put Rich Hill in the in the bullpen? I, I would have preferred... Winkowski to stay, but I don't think Rich Hill stuff makes sense in the pen at all. <laughs> like, yeah, if the option is Rich Hill or Winkowski, Winkowski is the play. Yeah, because um, I, I just don't think that Rich Hill stuff makes sense there. So uh, if it was between like Winkowski and somebody else, probably would have preferred Winkowski to stay in, in the uh, rotation. But yeah, just between those two, I think that was the right move. Um, and then you could always just piggyback Winkowski on top of Hill if you needed to. So. I think you yeah. could have used them in, in tandem if you need to. Um, and hopefully, uh, you know, Hill figures his stuff back out to the where he was in the in the first half of the season. But um, that kind of goes into what we were saying before with uh, as the rotation gets healthy, that kind of strengthens what they have going on in the bullpen. And having a guy like Winkowski in the bullpen helps. Yeah, it really does. And uh, if you have a reliable long guy, it kind of changes what you can do with Garrett Whitlock's usage a little bit as well. So um, I like the idea of it. And hopefully, you know, that produces some good results. Um, Another move that happened in the bullpen that was kind of shocking to me was uh, a guy who we dismissed last time on the show, Jerry's Familia. He is now in the pen um, with the Red Sox instead of Caleb Bort. He hasn't pitched yet. But apparently, uh, reports are that he worked on you know some mechanics and some mental stuff uh, down in the Dominican Republic with uh, some people who he's very familiar with and you know that he trusts and he feels like he's got his stuff back. So the Red Sox are gonna give him a shot. You expecting anything out of Jerry's Familia? Uh, not really, but. Um... We weren't getting anything out of Wart, so why not? I mean, if he feels confident in his stuff, then sure, why not? Let's see. Yeah, I I guess I'm kind of in the same boat. Like, why not? And we've seen Familia be a really good major league pitcher um, in the past. So, yeah, I'm definitely open to giving it a try. I still kind of wonder why the Red Sox just aren't going with Bizarro or Zach Kelly or... Frank German. I, I don't know why those levers haven't been pulled yet. Maybe it's just because, you know, looking forward to some of these other guys getting healthy. Um, you know, maybe they just don't want to pull the trigger on those guys. I, I get that more with Frank German than I do with Kelly and uh, Bizarro, who are in their, you know, later 20s. They're both like 26, 27 uh, years old. So I get that a little bit less with those guys, but. I don't really have any issue uh, trying out Familia right now and seeing what you have. Yep. All right. So the guys who we're still waiting to get healthy are Strom, Hauk, 
Bayo and uh, James Paxton. Um, and, you know, it kind of brings up an interesting point there, talking about the bullpen, which we've been, you know, going back and forth on. If they can get those other three guys healthy, and you kind of assume that Bayo, once he's healthy, will probably pitch out of the pen uh, for the remainder of the season, you could have a bullpen with Garrett Whitlock, uh, Schreiber, Hauk, Strom, um, you know, Bayo. There's a way that you you can kind of get rid of a lot of the guys who uh, are, are your biggest questions. Um, I mean, there's I don't know who they'd really they'd have some big decisions to make, like Austin Davis, you know, being your only lefty in the pen. I don't know what you do with him. Uh, I guess Strom would come back, so he'd be a lefty. But Matt Barnes, I wonder how much leash he has at this point in Familia. I guess Winkowski can be optioned, but I mean, eventually they're going to have kind of a log jam here. What do you think they do with these guys? Do you think that Bale goes back down or goes into the pen? There's going to be a lot of moving pieces over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I think Bale probably goes back down. Um, but with Paxton, that probably pushes Rich Hill to the pen. Mm-hmm. And you yep. have another lefty there. So you're probably looking at like Strom and Hill as your lefties. So Austin Davis potentially potentially gone, you think? Yeah. I wouldn't shed any tears for Austin Davis. Maybe he can get some um, revenge, though, this week against uh, Pittsburgh. The old uh, Austin Davis revenge tour. For I'd trading love to him. see it. Yeah. All right, uh, moving on to our next uh, stuff here. Kevin Puecki. I want to talk about the Ploster. Still hasn't been able to kind of turn it around this season offensively, defensively. He's not really throwing runners out. He's kind of just working with the pitching staff, and that's what he's been good at. Um, he's likely gone after this season. Would you be interested in giving uh, Connor Wong a – uh, audition down the stretch, especially as Reese McGuire gets more comfortable with the pitching staff here. Uh, Wong is a guy who's really thrown to a lot of these pitchers in the Red Sox bullpen and in the rotation. So he's got a rapport with a lot of these guys already. Uh, and he's been hot. You know, he's been batting like 300 uh, with some pop down in AAA over the last month. So what are your thoughts on the catching situation? Yeah, I would. I would like to see him get a chance, just uh, an extended run here, because we have seen him appear at the major league level in little spurts, but I'd like to see him uh, get more of an extended look. See what you got. Yeah. I'd like to see it too. Uh, do you think it happens? What what percentage chance would you would you give on Red Sox DFAing Ploiecki and giving Wong a chance? Uh, I don't know. It seems like they're kind of rolling with these guys. Maybe a 25% chance. Yeah, 25, 25 or under, I think. I, I might even be a little bit more conservative and say like 10% chance. It yeah. seems like Cora really likes his guys. Um, so kind of thinking Pulecki's here for the rest of the season. And if he is, I don't have, really have a huge problem with it, um, considering the amount of change that the pitching staff is having to go through right now anyhow with uh, you know adjusting to life without Christian Vasquez. Um, Tristan Casas, though, he's been hot, uh, recently in AAA. Do you think he ends up getting the call at any point this year, uh, with the Red Sox down the stretch or, you know, with the roster construction, does it just not really make sense? Because, you know, looking at it right now, I think you'd probably have to option Bobby Dahlbeck to give him a chance, uh, on this roster at this point, especially when everybody's healthy. I don't know what else you would do uh, to have that happen. I mean, I wouldn't have a problem with that. Do you think they'll do that? Probably not. I'm just saying I wouldn't have a problem with it. I wouldn't either. Um, I'd really, I'd probably be pretty happy about that. I wonder if they just do the thing where they call him up to kind of just be with the major league team and not play um, and not have a roster spot. But 
I don't know. You kind of seen what you've seen from from Bobby Dahlbeck at this point, right? I mean, especially yeah. considering once Story's back, you can have Arroyo play third base if you need anybody to sub in for for Devers. At that point, Bobby Dahlbeck's roster spot seems pretty tenuous. But then you're weighing like just him being around major leaguers versus getting consistent at bats, and it probably makes more sense for him to just get at bats. Yeah, and I and I do wonder, especially because he's going to factor into their plans for next year, whether or not they do want to see him down the stretch. So the more I think about it, the more I think it does make sense to, uh, you know, bring him up to the major league club at some point down the stretch. I wouldn't be surprised if that happens within the next couple of weeks. Be a fun thing to see. It would. Um, all right, let's talk about Cutter Crawford here um, as well. Cutter Crawford has been just a really impressive pitcher for the Red Sox this season. Um, got kind of an interesting pitch mix. Uh, got it pulled up right here. Four-seam fastball Cutter, which is his best pitch, uh, not surprisingly. Um, Curveball, change-up, slider. He doesn't throw a whole lot of uh, change-ups and sliders. Um, he's really kind of a three pitch guy with the four seam cutter and the curveball, um, but he's been really impressive this year. Looking forward to next season, especially because you know there aren't that many guys under contract. We've talked about how Eovaldi, uh is up. You know, no sure thing. He'll be back. Waka's up. Hills up. Um, do you feel confident that? Being in the rotation next year is is something that could happen uh, here with the Red Sox. You know, do you, do you think that there's a spot for him uh, in this rotation next year? Yeah, I think there's going to be. Um, and I think I feel okay with that. I mean, if you're asking him to be your fifth starter, I feel comfortable with that. If you're asking him to be a lot more than that, uh, for an extended period of time, um, I'm not sure, but like fourth, fifth guy, I think um, is a really solid option for that. Uh, and as you pointed out a lot, um, he's also somebody whose stuff probably plays up in the bullpen as well. So um, if it doesn't work, or uh, you end up <laughs> for whatever reason, if they end up going on a trade slash buying spree for the uh, rotation. He's probably not a bad guy to have in the bullpen as well. Or, um, as you've also pointed out, probably would make a great Oakland athletic. So <laughs> there's that too. Yeah. Maybe he's uh, one of the big pieces that gets you Sean Murphy in the offseason. I'd be okay with that too. Yeah. Um, I, I do kind of worry a little bit about um, him being in the rotation next year, just because I agree with you, I think he's more of a four or five. But I think when you look at the guys who are here and under contract, who we kind of figure um, to be in the rotation next year, pending any huge moves. I mean, you have Chris Sale, hopefully, uh, finally. I know it's kind of a running joke at this point, but you know, let's just assume you have a healthy Chris Sale. He's your number one. Your number two, probably. I don't know. Is it is it Whitlock? Whitlock, we figure, goes back to the rotation. He's your two. Um, then you'd have Cutter and Pavetta. Like, uh, who am I missing? Bayo. Bayo. Okay, Bayo. So, I think there's there's a, there has to be a free agent or a trade. For a starting pitcher, there has to be somebody. I would, I, I really want whoever the number two is to be from outside the organization. Well, be, yeah, because the problem with the rotation that I just named is that it's basically Chris Sale, who's a huge question mark, and, and what then, they have now, <laughs> yeah, and then what? All four guys who might be fifth starters at this point in their career. Like we're yeah. not saying that Bayo is a fifth starter long term, but like that's what he might pitch like next year. Um we haven't seen Garrett Whitlock be a ton more than that when he's been in the rotation. Uh maybe he's a four. You know, Pavetta he's a he's definitely a true fifth. 
you know, you might be asking Cutter to be like a th- a three, which which feels aggressive. Yeah, it is. So so yeah, I hope that's not the case. Um, yeah, they gotta they have to have an addition from outside that can match with Sale to be your one two, and then rely on Whitlock as your three, and then Pavetta Cutter as your four or five. That yeah, seems okay. And, the, and then you would probably eventually phase out Cutter to the bullpen with Bale. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And and for the people who are screaming at us, uh, Paxton, Paxton, Paxton. Yes, Paxton could factor into this if they do indeed decide that he's healthy enough to kind of activate the rest of that contract. They just didn't want to bank on him. But he could be a really easy solution to slide into that two spot. Uh, behind Sale, if indeed he can prove he's healthy down the stretch this year. But he's also he's pitched to 12 innings since 2019. I don't think <laughs> we can rely on him being like a number two. Yeah, that's true. He probably is better off being like a three, a high ceiling three uh, for your team. So you, you might be right, Keaton. You may still need another addition past that, even if you're, you know, taking on that contract. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, I wanted to end the show with uh, a little discussion about the uh, piece that I just wrote on Bloom's tenure with the Red Sox um, here at Over the Monster, the Heim Bloom Deep Dive. Um, You know, what I attempted to do with this piece, Keaton, was kind of um, bucket all of the players, uh, or not all of the players, but all of the players who have had like significant impact on the Major League roster. Um, since Heimblum has been here over the last three plus years, uh, into into buckets about you know claims and Rule Five picks that had an impact, ones that didn't, trades that worked out, ones that kind of didn't move the needle one way or the other, trades that worked out terribly, free agent signings that were good, meh, and bad, um, guys that he let walk that was the right decision, guys that were the wrong decision to walk. And then uh, picks that were good or, or or international signings that were good. And then too soon to say. So things that, you know, we don't really know. We don't have enough data on yet. Um, I wanted to kind of get your impression um, generally about, you know, Heim's tenure, um, whether or not you agreed with the piece, and then whether or not you thought that I misbucketed any of these players because – you know, it was kind of a tough task to look at all of these guys and try and decide where they should go. Yeah, I think you did a really good job with these buckets. The only one that I really had um, kind of like an air quotes issue with is Adam Ottavino being a let walk wrong decision. Um, I know he's having a good year this year, but given what he did the year before joining the Red Sox and what he did with the Red Sox. I don't think that was a bad decision. Um, especially cause they just replaced him with somebody who was, I mean, the exact same, um, profile of reliever. Yeah. Jake Diekman. <laughs> yeah. Just the opposite hand. Um, right. so I, I thought letting him walk was, was fine. It was, you know, you were going to, he's wildly inconsistent and just walked too many, for whatever reason, this year he's figured out how to cut his walk rate by like over fifty percent, and so obviously that's had a tremendous effect on his overall line. Um, that is incredibly hard for a reliever to do. Um, have that kind of drastic decline in a walk rate from year over year. So um, I don't think you could have banked on that happening, um, or even predicted that would ha- that would have happened with the Red Sox. <clears throat> So I I was fine with him walking. I would have preferred him be replaced with somebody else who could do the job better. <laughs> but um, I was fine with letting him walk. Uh, but that was really the only one. I was, uh, I was pretty convinced that you were going to say moving Michael Walker from free agent signings that were fine into ones that worked very well. Uh, so uh, I, I'm, you surprised me a little bit, Keaton. Well, I get where you're coming from. I mean, he did he, he did get hurt, so you have to right. factor. He did miss time, right? And um, I understand still f- the feeling, the regression coming with the peripherals. So I get it. 
Yeah. That's kind of I was I was playing it a little bit conservative with with the Waka signing, but anyhow, I mean, did you kind of agree about Bloom's tenure uh, with the piece? You know, kind of thinking that things were a little bit more uncertain with Bloom at the helm than they've been in the past, or you know, how how did you think about the sort of fairness that I looked at Bloom with? Yeah, I think that's accurate. Um, I also agree that. Bloom or whoever came into this was basically had the instruction of you got to trade Buki and you have to get under the luxury tax, which is, in my opinion, is a stupid thing to do for a team like the Red Sox. Um, But I also think that um, the directive from ownership is basically like get under and stay under no matter what. And that, and. I know that they are now back above it, but I think um, one thing this ownership has been is reactionary. And um, I would have liked to have seen them be more reactionary uh, six months ago or eight months ago uh, in this past offseason versus now. But um, I think with the success of the 2021 season, they felt that they could do it again uh, and just thread the needle. Uh, And... That there was just so many things that went right with that season that shouldn't have been banked on happening again, and there was so little room for error, and everything went right, and then we're not even seeing like the overcompensation of things that went like way too right going way too wrong this season. We're just seeing like literally this that kind of it split, and kind of there's still things going right that we probably didn't expect. And there's things that are going wrong that we did expect. So it's kind of just, uh, they should have done more in the off season. Like we said, there were obvious holes that need to be filled. They thought they could thread the needle again, uh, but they should have taken a team. Like you can adjust your expectations or um, adjust your actions uh, based off of like different results. I think they didn't think they were going to compete in 2021. So they were looking kind of further down the road. Um, and then all of a sudden they did. And then they're like, well, well, maybe we can do it again rather than, hey, let's jump on this opportunity, make some splashes in free agency, really build this up and take a run at it. And they thought they could do it again. We all had really high expectations that that was going to happen because that's what the Red Sox do when they're in those situations. They didn't. They had a really lackluster offseason, which followed kind of a lackluster um trade deadline, which again in 2021, we're like, oh my God, they can do it. They should be making some moves here. And then they didn't, it seemed like they needed to make a few more moves and ultimately fell short of the World Series. Then came the offseason, needed to kind of shore that up, didn't make the moves that they needed to. They've just kind of been treading water um, this year, coming up to this trade deadline, not knowing which direction they were going to go. And then themselves not really making a taking a stake in a direction going one way or another and kind of adding to more of the confusion, I think just kind of made it worse, but them feeling like they can compete and like just saying that they can compete, but they're not really putting a whole lot of effort into it. And then they actually do go over the luxury tax with these moves. It was just like, there had to be a better way to do that. Like if you're going to go back over the luxury tax, there had to be better players to do that for. There just had to, it seemed like, it was like last minute reactionary. Let's just do it for the sake of doing it, which is like, I mean, at that point, don't. So yeah, that that just kind of adds to all of the confusion and the uncertainty. But I also think that um, you know we also see the still see the potential in this team going forward. And um, you, know, I think at the end of the article, you make the. Uh, the biggest point that um, Davers and Bogarts are kind of the two key points to this whole team, and we see the core offense offensively that this team has and the potential that it has, uh, but that's with those guys. Yeah. And so uh, that starts to fall apart when they're not there, um, and the the potential that this team has in 2023 going forward is with Devers and Bogarts on the team. Unless they have some sort of backup plan 
uh, which given history doesn't seem like they do, um, that's going to start to fall apart and make everything look significantly worse. It doesn't seem like they have much of a plan. And um, if they don't, if, like the Devers and Bogarts has to be their plan. And then they can add to that. If that's not their plan, it doesn't seem like they have a plan B. Um, so I, yeah, it just, it kind of adds to kind of that cloudiness, but um, there is a bunch of money that's going to come off the books uh, in this off season. So they should be able to retain Bogarts at the very least. Uh, if they don't feel like they can extend Devers now, but uh, that also add to the holes, quite obvious holes that they had to shore that up and then push this team forward for 2023 and beyond. So I'm, I was really looking forward to. I mean, you also did a good point of outlining like COVID obviously factored into this. There was the lockout. Yeah, this is the first offseason Bloom is going to have that is going to be air quotes normal. Yeah, so let's see what he can do in a normal offseason. But it really feels like this is the leash. Um, yeah, if nothing, this happens, is it. if nothing happens here, this is this is the end of the line. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think you're you're right about that. This is the defining offseason, and you know we kind of wanted last season to be the defining offseason, but there are enough built-in excuses for. As to why it wasn't, um, yeah. but yeah, this is this is definitely the definitive one. Um, so losing good. Bogarts yeah. and then not making the team better, like definitively better, and losing Bogarts would be enough to be like, okay, we're not going in the right direction with Bogarts. right. <laughs> so ho- hopefully, uh, you know, we 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 don't go down that road, but. Uh, if you haven't checked out the piece, you know, it's it's still on the site. So go ahead and give that a little read. Um, Keaton, we didn't get any listener questions today. So uh, I guess, uh, you know, people are taking a day off from thinking about the Sox, which is totally uh, they're right. So, you know, I don't blame people. I hope uh, I hope there are some people currently out there enjoying the series finale of Better Call Saul. Uh, right now just a, a yeah. fantastic show are you a better call Saul watcher keaton i watched the first i think two or so seasons and i really liked it and then i just kind of lost track of it um once i i cut the cord uh-huh um and then i, I need to go back yeah but, uh it's probably going to be a binge i was it's close enough to the end where i was like i should just let it finish and then binge it <laughs> Yeah, I know uh, your your co-host on your other show there, Bailey, is a huge fan of that show as well. I think I, I like it even better than um, Breaking Bad. So, um, you know, fantastic show. I'm very excited to watch the uh, the finale of that sometime t- today uh, or today for you guys. Um, but, yeah, that's our show today. We do appreciate you tuning in to listen to some baseball talk with us. Uh, we always appreciate that, and if you could, you know, log on and uh, to Apple uh, Podcasts or wherever you get your show and give us a rate and review, we would really appreciate that as well. You know, five star reviews really help us out. Um, and uh, tune in to the other shows on our network. Keaton and Bailey have the Precap Podcast, which I've referenced here a couple of times. Um, Bob Osgood and Shelley Restrate also have the Red Sox on Deck Podcast. Uh, you can follow Keaton on, on Twitter at the Spoken Keats. You can follow me at, at DevJake. And you can follow the Over the Monster account at, at Over the Monster. Thanks so much. We really appreciate you being with us, and we'll be with you again next week.